morning, church. My name is Ray Sang Mashiku, and today I'll be reading Romans 8, Romans chapter 8, verse 18 to 39. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to fertility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope. That the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And that, and not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruit of the Spirit, grown inwardly as, as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we, we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope. For, we, for who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Likewise, the Spirit, likewise the Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groaning to deep to deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what it what is the mind of the Spirit. Because of the Spirit intercedes for the for the saints according to the will of God. And we know what for those who love God all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose, for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be confirmed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called, and those whom he also justified, he, and who, those whom he justified, he also glorified. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for all of us, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is, it is God who justifies, who is condemned. Christ, Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is that who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us, who shall separate us from the love of God, shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword, as it is written, for your sake we are being killed all day long. We are regardless as sheep to be slaughtered. No. In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death or life, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Morning, everybody. Um, 
Well done, Rory. Well done to all the Mashiach women who did such a great job this morning. Thank you. Uh, two helpful comments from my side. Um, firstly, uh, to Boko, everyone knows that a vestry is a thing that you wear under your shirt tree. <laughs> and, and secondly, I, I just want to let you know as a church, uh, Royden has no vision. I, I said to him, it's all set up, ready to go. If just before the sermon, there could have been a hushed silence, all the lights off, spotlight on the curtain, maybe a smoke machine, <laughs> and a voice could have said, now what you've all been waiting for, Sean. And I could have come bursting through the curtain, <laughs> carrying my Bible. And he said no. <laughs> so here we are. Opportunity lost. We'll persevere and push on. So let's ask God to help us. Let's pray. Father, we, we do just ask um, uh, for your help, uh, especially as we now think about a difficult topic. Uh, we think about the suffering and pain in the world. Uh, we pray, please, that you would meet with us. Help us, we pray, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. So on the 31st of December uh, 2019, the world changed. Your world changed. Uh, someone at the World Health Organization country office uh, in Wuhan, uh, sorry, in China, picked up a media statement on the Wuhan Municipal Health Commission website uh, where they were talking about cases of a viral pneumonia. And that, of course, was the first sign of what is to come, uh, a devastating pandemic that has swept across the world. And that became very real for you and I on the 23rd of March 2020 with our own president, Cyril Ramaphosa, placed us all into lockdown, level five. And suddenly you had to figure out how to use Zoom and bake bread. <laughs> our theme for this morning, our theme for last Sunday was, or and is, uh, this, uh, what is your story? And we all have a story. Uh, we, we have a story to tell. Our stories are unique. But the one thing that we all have in common at the moment is COVID-19. Uh, you can't spend too long talking to someone without it coming up in the conversation in some way or another. And, yet, and also, sadly, friends, what, what COVID has made very obvious again to us is that suffering is most certainly a part of every single human's story. Everyone on the planet experiences pain and suffering at some point. So at the moment, whether it's because of sickness and death, uh, or unemployment, uh, financial ruin, depression, fear, or even if it's just a question of you seeing that happening in someone else's life, we all are experiencing suffering at the moment in some way or another. The suffering is so real at the moment, it is so obvious so unavoidable that what it has done is it has also brought up a renewed focus on a question that has always been asked, but, 
that people seem to be asking it, especially at the moment. And the question is this. Surely suffering means that there is no God. Surely. And in particular, when people talk about, ask that question, when they say God, they mean the God of Christianity, the God of the Bible. Uh, They might put the question in different ways, but the thinking basically follows these lines. God is supposed to be all-powerful. The Bible says so. God is supposed to be perfectly loving. The Bible says so. And yet over 230 million and counting, 230 million people have been infected with this terrible virus. Almost 5 million people have died, and those are only the ones we've been able to count. And that also doesn't include the people who have died, not directly because of being infected by the virus, but because of just the devastating effect that this pandemic has had on people's lives. How can I believe in a God who's supposed to be all-powerful and, and perfectly loving, and yet this is what's happening in his world? It's a, it's a simple question in many ways. And, and when the question is asked, it seems to have devastating consequences for the God of the Bible, for the God of Christianity. And it's also it's a question both of the mind and the heart. This is not just theory. This is not just a philosophical kind of debate. For most people, it's a question that rises out of a profound pain that they have either lived through in the past or are busy living through in the present. For many, it's a cry of anger, a cry of fear, a cry of anguish, confusion. And I do want to say right up front, uh, there are no easy answers to this question. Christians do not have easy answers to this question. I'm not going to try and convince anyone this morning that, that I somehow have a straightforward, simple answer from the Bible Uh, an answer to suffering that is going to satisfy both your mind and your heart because those answers don't exist. So you say, well, what on earth are you doing up there anyway then? (laughs) What do I hope to achieve? Well, I I want to leave you just with this one thing, and and if this is all you leave with this morning, then, then I think hopefully job done. I want to show you from the Bible that a Christian is not a person who has solved the problem of suffering. A Christian, rather, is someone who has come to love and trust the God who has suffered in their place. That's what I want to try and show you this morning. And I'm going to try and do it from that passage uh, that was read, that Rory read so well for us just now from Romans, Romans chapter 8, uh, verse 18 to 39. We're not, we, we can't look at everything this passage has to say about suffering. There's so much more here. I just want to, I want to highlight three things for you. And the first thing I want you to notice in this passage is that God takes our choices seriously. So Paul says in chapter 8 verse 20, Romans 8 verse 20, he says, For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it. So, says Paul, God himself deliberately subjected his own creation to futility, to frustration. A fundamental teaching of the Bible is that God is deliberately preventing his world from being the place that he intended it to be. If I can put that in another way for today's purpose, human beings suffer 
Because God is not allowing his world to work the way that it should. Now someone would say, why would God do that? Well, the answer Paul gives is, well, the answer the Bible gives is because God takes our choices seriously. You see, so Paul is thinking here about the beginning of our story. Takes us all the way back to the beginning where God actually made us, and that's where the story, our story actually begins as human beings. We go back to Genesis 1 and 2, and we read there that God created us with a very special and a very specific purpose. He made us to be his co-workers. He made us to be his representatives in his world. And so God makes a world in the beginning where absolutely everything is perfectly set up for us to flourish as human beings. For us to, to take what he has made what he has given us, to to use the capacities, the incredible abilities that he's given us as human beings to take all of this and to turn it into something wonderful, something that would bring us great joy, great fulfillment. And a crucial part of the way God has set that up is that he created us as human beings with this unique ability to make choices that matter, to make choices that actually impact the world that he has created, and that belongs to him. And even more importantly, he designed it so that we would make those choices and do those things in a relationship of open trust with him. God has never intended just to leave his world on its own. He always wants to be involved with his world. He made it so that he would be involved with his world, primarily through us, through his representatives. And so God made us, friends, to experience freedom. Freedom for us was meant to be living in perfect harmony with him so that we could live in perfect harmony with everything that he has made. Now, that's where our story starts. Of course, sadly, that's not how our story continued because the very first choice made by human beings was to reject all of that. The first choice was to say we actually don't trust that God is as good as he says he is. That God is as powerful as he says he is. Read about that choice in Genesis 3. God said to the first man and the first woman, he says, if you choose to not to trust me, if you choose to to not trust the freedom of my goodness and my power, well, then you will lose your freedom. And you will become enslaved to death. And what did they choose? They chose slavery to death. They said, we are better off without him. We will do better without him. We do not trust him. And so they chose the lie that human beings would be happier and more free if they lived as if God wasn't there. And the Bible calls that choice sin. That's the the small word that it uses for a very big idea. And you see, friends, God is always true to his word. God honored their choice. God subjected his world to frustration because that key relationship that God had set up between himself and creation had been broken down. There, there, There is simply no version 2.0 of the world. There's no version of the world where somehow this world flourishes and works without God, as if God didn't make it. 
and sustains it as if it's not his world. And so you see, the result of all of that is that suffering and ultimately death, which is the extreme, most extreme form of suffering, death became part of the human story. God honored our choice. And the thing is, friends, that same attitude to God lives in your heart and my heart today. That's what the Bible says. Our our default position, our natural spiritual state, is to believe that we are better off without God, is to not trust in the goodness of God. We'll be happier, more successful without him. We can do better without him. And so the consequence is we continue to experience suffering and death. Now, I understand, we could have a long debate about why God did that. Why did God make a world where your choices and my choices matter so much, where they make such a big difference to the world he made? Why did he do that? We could have that discussion, but I want to ask you this one question. Do we actually believe, despite all the questions we might have, do we believe that the human story even our human story as it is now, that it would be better if God had not made us with that ability, if God had made us in a way that our choices don't matter. I mean, isn't there something profoundly wonderful, something profoundly exciting about the fact that you can get up in the morning and make choices every day that impact the world, that impact your life? You can make a difference. It's wonderful and it's exciting, friends, because God made it that way. He made us that way. You see, the tragedy is, the sad thing is, we we took that wonderful gift, we still take that wonderful gift, and we abuse it. And especially, we, we misuse it in the relationship, in our relationship with the one who actually gave us the gift. And you see, that tragic choice to say, I'm better off without God. I don't trust in God's goodness. That's the root cause of the suffering that you and I experience. In the end, that's what it comes down to. God honors our choice. In fact, the, the, the reality of suffering, what people are going through at the moment, is one of the most powerful ways that tells us when something is wrong, this is not the way it's supposed to be. This world's broken. We sang about it in that song. Our world's broken. God honors our choice. But notice, secondly, God is not undone by our choices. So have a look, verse 20 again, Romans 8. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. Paul says God subjected his world to frustration, to fertility, in hope. Now, that word hope there is not the way you and I use the word hope generally. So you might be sitting there thinking to yourself, I hope this guy is nearly done. That's not hope. That's wishful thinking. That's not what hope means in this passage. The, hope in this, the word hope in this passage means someone who is comp- in complete control of the outcome. That's what hope means here. Someone who guarantees what is hoped for. That's the hope that this is referring to. 
Paul is saying God subjected his world to frustration, knowing that that would not be the final outcome. That's not the end game. That's not how this is going to end. God and the plans he had for his world that we read about in Genesis 1 and 2, those plans have not been undone because of our bad choice. God has not been forced by our choice to give up on a world where people will one day eventually experience the freedom of trusting in his goodness. God's not undone by our choices. God has always had a plan to set his, plan, his world free from the consequences of our choice, to even set us free. And you see, what that means, his friends, is that there, there is not a single moment of suffering, there is not the smallest tear of pain that is shed that will go unnoticed. Every, if you could weigh suffering in some way, Every ounce of suffering matters. It matters to God. He sees it. He sees it for what it is. He recognizes it. Even the pain and the, and the unfairness of it that happens, it seems to happen in secret, that no one else notices, God sees it. And you see, he will put it right. Every single moment of suffering will be set free from the bondage to decay will be set free from futility. God has a plan. He is not undone by our choice. That's a fundamental part of a Christian response to suffering. He's not undone by our, cho our bad choices. And in the end, he will set his world, including you and I, including human beings, especially human beings, he will set us free from the bondage to decay that has come about because of our bad choice. Now, of course, how does he do that? What is the plan? How does God set his world free? And the short answer to that question is by loving it. And so that's the third thing I want you to notice in this passage. God's love, God loves his world with an all-conquering love. We're going to look at just the last few verses from verse 31. In Romans 8. And in those verses, Paul asks three questions. And the questions kind of build up to the ultimate question. So, so the first question he asks is this. Look, look at verse 31. And, and this question kind of answers itself. The question is, if God is for us, who can be against us? And of course, the answer to that question is, well, no one. If the biggest, most powerful person in the universe is for me, well, then it doesn't matter who you are, you lose if you're against me. In the end, I win. But is God for me? Is God for you? Most of us this morning could look at what's going on in our lives, could look at what's going on in the world, and we would say, no, it doesn't look that way. It doesn't look like God is for me. I think he's against me. It really does look as if pain and suffering and ultimately death is going to have the final say in my life. So yes, if God is for me, well then no one can be against me, but I'm not sure that God is for me. How can I know if God is for me? Well, I think the answer to that question depends on the answer to the next question. Verse 33, who will condemn us before God? Surely God 
can't and won't be for me if he condemns me. And we know already God is true to his word. He said if we choose to not trust in his goodness, we will die. And so I look around me and I see death and suffering. And so clearly the evidence is there, I am condemned. God is not for me because I am condemned. Now, if we look at those questions in that way, and if we answer them honestly, and I've tried to, as I've done now, we're going down a road that doesn't look good. But that's not the road Paul is actually trying to take us down in this passage. He's actually trying to take you in the opposite direction, which I'll show you in a minute. You see, he's trying to take us to the final question. This is the question that really, really matters. Verse 35. The question he's asking is, who will separate us from God's love? Who will separate us? I mean, that's the real question. Does God love me? Will God always love me? Can I depend on God's love? Can I trust it with my life? And what Paul is actually doing in this, in this passage, he's actually wanting you to, as the reader to answer this question with a most definite and clear yes. Absolutely. God loves me with an all-conquering love. Just, just read with me from verse 35. He says, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation um, or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all, day, all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No. In all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. You see what he's saying? He's saying nothing. Nothing can separate us from the love of God. He lists them. All the possible candidates, all the things that might suggest that you've been separated from God's love. Tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, danger, or sword. Including that, COVID-19. And then verse 38, neither life nor death, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come. Nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation. None of that says Paul. None of that can separate us from God's love. There is no power, there is no experience in life, there is no depth of suffering, there are no circumstances that you find yourself in that mean, and not even death itself, he says. None of that will separate us from the love of God. None of it. Really? I mean, is that true? How can it be true if it feels like at the moment that God actually hates me? What is it that makes Paul so confident that he can say to people like us, nothing will separate you from the love of God? What gives him such certainty? Why does he want us to have so certainty, such certainty? And the answer, of course, is because Jesus answers all the questions that he asks. He's convinced of God's all-conquering love because of Christ. 
So let's go back to the questions and, and, and notice how Paul answers them or how Jesus answers the questions. So the first question, why can I know for absolute certainty that God is for me and not against me? Well, look at verse 32. He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? See, Paul says, God, I know God is for me because he sent his son. He sent his son to die for me. But by sending Jesus, God is saying to people like us, people who suffer, people who were maybe busy suffering, he's saying to us in the clearest and most powerful way that he can, he's saying to you, I am for you. I am not against you. And I will give you everything I have to give because I've given you my son. But okay, but, but why should God giving us his son mean that God is totally for us? Well, because Jesus answers the second question as well. Who will condemn us before God? The evidence clearly suggests that I am condemned before God. And so what difference does Jesus make? Well, look at verse 34. Christ Jesus is the one who died, more than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. You see, friends, God didn't just send his son to, to die as a token of his support for us as we suffer. Jesus' death and his resurrection actually achieved something. It changed something, something fundamental. Jesus didn't just die. Jesus died in our place. He didn't just suffer. He suffered for us. He's the only person who never deserved to die. He's the only person who never, ever, even for a moment, doubted the goodness of his father. He always did exactly what his father wanted, perfectly. Jesus lived as you and I should have lived. He's the only one who didn't deserve to die. So when God says in Genesis 3, you will surely die, friends, that applies to you and I, but it never applied to Jesus. And yet, Jesus died. God's own eternal son Stepped down into this world. He became one of us. He experienced the suffering that you and I experience. He went through death. Just like us. And he did it for us. He did it in our place. He, he was our substitute. The death that God promised to humanity. The death that God promises us as he honors our choice. Is poured out onto Jesus. Jesus, God did that so that he can justify us, says Paul. He says in verse 33, when the charges are brought before God, God is the one who makes the call. God is the judge. God is the one who justifies or condemns. And what he's saying in this passage is, you are justified. How can that be? When the evidence is there that I clearly deserve God's condemnation, how is it that God can turn to the guilty and say you are not guilty? Well, because of Jesus. What we deserve has been poured out onto Christ so that God can turn to us and say, you're justified. God honors our choice. God has to honor our choice. But the punishment for that choice is poured out onto Jesus so that people like us can be set free.
so that God can tell to people like us, friends, even though I should be against you, I'm not, I'm with you, I'm for you. I will give you everything. I will ultimately give you freedom from suffering. I will get you through death because my son, my son has been condemned so that you can be justified. He died so that you can ultimately live. Now, that has always been God's plan. His plan is to set his world free from condemnation, to set his world free from suffering by loving this world with an all-conquering love, a love that cost him his son, a love that cannot be undone. It is as permanent as the cross, as Jesus' death and resurrection. That cannot be reversed. It's done. A love that in the end, friends, will hold nothing back because it has already given you everything that you could possibly want. He's given it all to us by giving us his son. It shouldn't surprise us when pain and suffering comes that one of the ways that people respond is they lash out at God. We do that, don't we? We demand an explanation from God. We want God to explain himself. How would he allow such senseless pain and suffering? We might say to God, you know, if I had the power to stop this, I would. So why don't you? Some people start to wonder if God is as good as the Bible says he is. Some people start to wonder, is God as powerful as the Bible says he is? Some people come to the conclusion that God, well, God just hates me. Other people come to the conclusion he doesn't exist. He's not there. I, I think all of us sitting here this morning, at some stage or another, and, and maybe even in the last 18 months, we've all had these thoughts, these feelings to some extent. We all struggle with this. And they, are, they can be extremely powerful, all-consuming thoughts. And they are thoughts and pain, uh, um, feelings that come from, from often from deep pain, from a sense of anger and frustration and hopelessness and despair. But what I want to say to you this morning, friends, and I guess this is what the final sort of message is, is will you allow God to speak? With all your questions, with all your anger and frustration, allow God to speak to you through the Bible, through this passage. And what you'll find is that God will give you some answers to some of your questions, and we haven't even looked at many of them. He will give you some answers to some of your questions, but not all. Because, friends, in the end, the God that we so desperately need when we are totally overwhelmed by pain and suffering, is not the God who is somehow limited by or defined by our questions. We need a God who's more than that. And you see, he is more than that. The God we desperately need, friends, is not the God who would do what we would do. He's not the God who knows what we know. We need a bigger God than that. And he is bigger than that. You see, what this, so, so no, God may not answer or explain himself in the way that we want him to. But what God does do is, 
very clearly is he loves us. He loves us with a love that is all-conquering, a love that overcomes everything, even suffering and death. Through Jesus, God has stepped into our suffering. He's come here. He's lived with us. He's died for us so that we can be set free. God is saying to us, I'm not against you. I'm for you. You're not condemned. You're justified because of Jesus. He's saying, I love you with an all-conquering love, a love that will never be undone. There is nothing, there is no power in the world that can undo this love for you. You cannot be separated from it. In the end, God's love will win. Not suffering, not death, not COVID-19. God's love will win. And so you see, friends, when, when we cry out to God for answers, what God gives us is not answers. He gives us himself. He gives us himself. He gives us his son. So yes, there, there are some listening this morning who feel that the suffering they have experienced makes it impossible for them to ever have anything to do with this God. You may feel that way. There might be some here listening this morning who, who are longing for God, but they basically have come to the conclusion, God wants nothing to do with me. He's given up on me. Friends, whatever thoughts, whatever feelings you might have about God, the one thing that cannot be changed is that God has loved people like you. He's loved you with an all-conquering love. And so I guess the question is, will you, will you receive it? Will you trust him enough to receive it? And maybe you're saying, I'm not ready yet for that. But would you at least be willing to consider it and think more about it? And the best way for me to suggest for you to kind of take the next step is to just speak to God, even if you really don't feel like it. Speak to him. And so I want to try and help you to do that. I'm going to, I'm going to read a, just a very short prayer, and I'm going to invite you to pray that with you, not out loud. You can just pray it in your own heart and mind. And maybe just say these words to God, just as a starting point. So this is what I'm going to pray. <laughs> God, I find it very hard to understand why you would allow me to suffer. You feel very far away. Please would you help me consider the possibility that what I need is not answers to all my questions, but the love you have given through Jesus. Please help me to see that Jesus suffered for me to set me free. That's what I'm going to pray now. If you want to pray it, please do pray it with me in your heart and mind. God, I find it very hard to understand why you would allow me to suffer. You feel very far away. Please would you help me consider the possibility that what I need is not answers to all my questions, but the love you have given through Jesus. Please help me to see that Jesus suffered for me to set me free. Amen.